up? What's up? What's up? What's up? What's up? Everybody. 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 You are listening to The Bounce. As always, folks, this is episode 77. My name is Jabari Anderson with my co-host L'Oreal. How are you doing, L'Oreal? I'm doing fantastic, man. Steph put on the show. I bet These he did. finals yeah. are cooking. He did put on the show, for sure. Uh-huh. Yeah. As I'm sipping on this sparkling water. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, you know, I'm feeling, you know, it was my birthday last week, you know, last Friday hey. night. Very good birthday. Shout out to all my fam- friends and family members. Yeah, it definitely is my, my last year being my 20s. So, you know, so we'll see what happens, though. I'm looking forward to see, um, you know, what's next for me and whatnot, you know. Well, I, I do. I know what's next for me, you know, but uh, next year I'm going to be 30. Wow, that's, wow. Wow, that's uh, very interesting. But, you know, let's go, let's go ahead and get the show on the road. So last week if you didn't know then you know now that um that well first on wednesday you had uh, the series was tied 1-1 and the boston Celtics took out the go to state warriors 116 to 100 so the Celtics were up 2-1 in this series game four a must win a very very must win for the go to state warriors it was a must win game four and the warriors prevailed i mean steph curry i mean lord have mercy i mean what can we say about this game four Steph Curry, he had 43 points, 10 rebounds, 14 for 26 from the field, 7 for 14 from the three-point line, 14 points in the third quarter, 10 points in the fourth quarter. This guy was sensational. There's nothing more you could say. And knowing that, well, this man who had 43 points in this game, in game four, this man became the third oldest player to score at least 40 points. NBA Finals. You know who else scored at least 40 points in the NBA Finals? Who was at least old as Steph Curry or older? Michael Jordan and LeBron James. That's 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 that's, that's nice company right there. You want to be honest right there. But like I said, Steph Curry was sensational. We could say a lot about what Steph Curry did. Shout out to Andrew Wiggins who played well, Kevon Looney and others. L'Oreal, we have seen a lot of good games from Steph Curry in the NBA Finals. Even a few great games, but we have always said, where's that Finals moment? That that great Finals performance. By Steph Curry in the NBA Finals, and we we always been asking that question. But this game right here was great. Was this the best game for Steph Curry in NBA Finals history? Absolutely, this was the best game for Steph because at the very beginning, this was Steph's do or die moment. I mean, the Warriors are about to end up being three down three and one, which was going to be really bad for them. And on top of that, for Steph, every single game in this entire NBA Finals series has been an on-the-line situation for him. And even if, you know, of course, they lost the one game, but when you look at all these other games that they have won, it has been a down-to-the-wire moment for Steph because Steph knows that if he doesn't make this a great turnaround, if he doesn't give his team a win, if he doesn't perform well, the team is going to look bad and everything is going to fall completely on him. It's only going to fall on Steph Curry, not Andrew Wiggins, not Draymond Green, not Clay Thompson, just Steph Curry. So this was the moment for him to make his mark, and I think he did. Steph wants it bad. He wants it bad. You can tell he wants it bad, especially in game four. He was coming out for blood. He was coming out for revenge. Because remember, Boston, they had Curry for a moment. Curry, he wasn't really shooting as efficient as he is. But now Curry has just been able to just be the star that he is and to be able to show up the way that he did. 
And the thing is, is that this helps a lot for the Warriors case in their series because Steph showed up. Steph had that moment. To him to score 43 points, shooting 50% from the field and shooting at least 45% from three, that is insane. He had flawless numbers. Look, Just look at the game and just see every moment where he made a shot. He was ready. He was ready to pull up. He was ready to pull up against Jalen Brown. He was ready to pull up against Jason Tatum. He was ready to pull up against Marcus Smart. Like I said, Steph was able to toy with the defense and play with them that well so that he could just run and take over like it's crazy. And not only that, the thing is about Steph that we are going to really talk about in the end, especially if the Warriors are to win and he wins finals MVP, notice how he has his moments. Like, remember, when he was shooting and he was making all those shots, you see Steph, you know, pumping his fists on his chest. You see Steph just super-duper animated. And we know that Steph can do that because he loves the game. And when those emotions get that high for him, he got to let it out. You saw really good looks of Jordan Poole by Steph, Clay Thompson, Andrew Wiggins, Kevin Looney as well. So the point that I'm making is that as big as this moment is for Steph, he can still be able to – zero it down to just the bigger picture. Him and his teammates and getting that win. You saw what happened in the press game conference. Even if Draymond still didn't do really well, Steph said, well, Draymond's still our guy. He still has a place on his team, even if he doesn't do what I do. And that's just how great Steph is. And that's how just he makes everything so much better beyond him scoring the 43 points. But when you just look at the game itself, it was one of the greatest performances. I mean, he looked unstoppable. When Steph gets hot, we know that it's really hard for anyone to stop him. And for that Celtics defense, they didn't know what to do. They couldn't stop him at all. That's how great Steph was. And in that game four, Steph had to do that. Steph was the only guy that had any pressure in that game, really, because if he didn't do what he did, we would be talking about the Warriors probably in a whole different fashion especially talking about Steph in a whole different fashion. So for him to do what he did, you got to give props to him, man, because he wants it bad. You can tell he's been grinding since game one. And I feel like he's going to keep it going even more. I still have Boston winning the series in seven games. But like I said, this helps the Warriors a lot because not only did, not only did Steph did what he do, you saw more contributions from other guys. We talked about, you know, what does the Warriors have to do in game four? Well, besides Steph, Someone else has to show up. And even if Steph was the big guy in the night, you still saw other guys contributing that helped with the Warriors. So now that they're going back to the Bay for game five, they're, I'm sure they're feeling extremely confident because they was able to get that win on the road in Boston, shun that Boston crowd who was still feisty, and now you're going back to Oakland at Chase Center where all the pressure now is going to be on Boston because you got to make a statement now coming to the Bay. Coming to the Bay now with Steph doing what he did, everybody's going to be completely pumped up, and that's going to help the Warriors so much, especially Steph. Steph Curry's performance against the Boston Celtics in Game 4 was clearly the best game that we have ever seen him play, even see him perform in NBA Finals. And here's the reason why. You could think of a few games like we have seen Game 3 of the NBA Finals where he went against the Toronto Raptors and he scored 47 points without Kevin Durant. It didn't really mean as much because they still end up losing that game in double digits. Now, game five of the 2015 NBA Finals, Warriors and Cavs, Curry's first NBA Finals appearance, and that was a, a decided factor of them being up 3-2 in the series. He scored 37 points, 
being guarded by Matthew Delavadova, who people said was the at that time the Curry stopper, and he just he was just scoring what I believe 17 points in the fourth quarter in Game Five. I mean, like I said, 37 points. That was a crucial game, Game Five, and for them to be up in that series. But that was that could be the conversation for best game ever. But the reason why Game Four was his best performance ever in the NBA Finals because had they would have lost Game Four, clearly let's be real about this, they would have been down three one in this series. And no team has come back from a 3-1 deficit outside of the Cleveland Cavaliers in 2016. And mind you, looking at this Warriors team, they don't have, listen, they may have Steph Curry, but they don't have a LeBron James or Kyrie Irving on this team. So looking at this situation, they knew for a fact that they had to win game four just for them to even have a snowball's chance to even win game five or even possibly winning game six or even having game seven on their home floor. So this was spectacular right there. 43 points. 24 points in the second half. You got to say that Steph Curry was sensational. And like I said beforehand, we have been looking for at Steph Curry saying, where is this great finals performance? Where is this great finals moment? This was the game right here where we could say, wow, that was the, that was his finals moment. And if the Warriors do win this series, if they win the NBA finals, we will look and say that was the game right there that we would say Steph Curry was great. In the NBA Finals, because look, you look at it right now. I mean, this guy right here, the man's averaging 31 points. That's pretty good if you look at Steph Curry. I mean, apparently he's getting his shots off. And one thing I would say about the Celtics, you, you could say that you know the Celtics, the Celtics are doing everything they could do. The Celtics are dropping coverage, and let's be real. Anytime that you're dropping co- dropping coverage on Steph Curry, that's not good. So you're basically what you're saying is that when Steph Curry is going over a pick, and or they get a screen. And once he goes over that screen, it's an open look. And so he's going to shoot the ball no matter what. Now, give credit what happened in, in the third or fourth quarter. There were times that he had hands in his face and he was still making them at the three-point line. I mean, that was that was like, wow. Like, I was amazed to see that happen. And especially in the fourth quarter, less than two minutes, when he when he hit the dagger, that, that to me was the dagger late in the fourth quarter. But that changed up everything. Like I said beforehand. If they do win the NBA championship, we're going to look at game four and say that was the reason why they won it in the first place. Because this game, this game four performance will tell us everything about how this turns out to be for at the end of the NBA finals. So we're going to see what happens later on. But we want to move on to another topic. And I, I thought this was actually very interesting and, and it still involves Steph Curry. So we're going to stick, we're going to still talk about Steph Curry right here. And I didn't expect to talk about this, not whatsoever. And, you know, still talk about the NBA finals here, but there was some interesting quotes that I heard from Jeff Van Gundy. And I couldn't believe what I just heard from this man, what he just said. I mean, this guy is averaging 34 points per game in the NBA finals, six rebounds per game in this series. And there was a quote that Jeff Van Gundy had to say after game four. This is what he said about Steph Curry. He said, Steph Curry has had to carry the Warriors today like LeBron James had to carry those Cavs teams. Now, when he said that, he clearly must have been talking about maybe, what, 2015 or 2018 Cavaliers because he sure as hell wasn't talking about no 2017, 2016 Cavaliers with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love. So I'm just very intrigued (laughs) to see what happened. Now, Jeff Van Gundy is the only one that kind of, you know, compared this, this Warriors team to the Cavaliers team that LeBron had. Brian Windhorst also said that, you know, that after game three, he said this is the first time that we're seeing that Steph Curry is carrying lesser talent like LeBron James. 
against, you know, uh, the better team. And I just want to say this right now. I just, I, I really had to say this because this is what Jeff Van Gundy and Brian Rindhorst said. If, let me just say this again, what Jeff Van Gundy said. He said after game four, Steph Curry has had to carry the Warriors today like LeBron James had to carry those Cavs team. Now, let's just go back to the Warriors supporting Cavs real quick. Um, Steph Curry has Andrew Wiggins, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green. Now, we ain't going to talk about Dray- we ain't we, Listen, we ain't going to talk about how great Dray- Draymond Green looked like a bum in the NBA. He, he washed his Jordan hell. Poole. Okay, all right. Jordan Poole. Yeah, well, Jordan Poole is that's pretty good, but he's been inconsistent. But Draymond Green has been trash offensively. But let me just say this about who the Warriors have, right? Wiggins, Clay, uh, Draymond, and Jordan Poole, and others, people, other players that we can mention, right? Cleveland Cavaliers. Let's, let's just go back to LeBron Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, 2015, when Kyrie went down, his second leading score in the 2015 uh, NBA Finals for the Cavs was Timothy Moskov. Now, this man <laughs> averaged 14 points, seven rebounds. Now, I'm, I just want to ask you this question. Was Moskov a better player than Andrew Wiggins? Hell no. Okay. No. Well, was Timothy Moskov better than Klay Thompson? No. It was, was Tim Bay Moskov even a better player than, like, you know, we're not, we're going to take Draymond. Let's, let's just say that Draymond Green, <laughs> man, let's just say that he is better than Draymond Green. It, it was, is Moskov a better player than Jordan Poole? No. No. Okay. All right. All right. And then you want to go with third or fourth best players, J.R. Smith and Matthew Dellavedova. Now, <laughs> let's just keep it real by, right here. No, he ain't better than. They listen, none of them are in the same class with Wiggins, Clay, Draymond, Jordan Poole. Now let's even go, let's even go back to 2007. The 2007 Cavaliers. All right. This is when LeBron James was about what 22, 23 years old, right? The second leading scorer for the Cleveland Cavaliers was Drew Gooden. And that man averaged 12 points, eight rebounds. Now, let's 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 just ask this question. Is Drew Gooden at that time? A better player than Andrew Wiggins today? No. Clay Thompson? No. Dray- Draymond? No, Jordan Poole? No, 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 no. Okay, like what? What are we? What? 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 What are we talking about here? It's like it was similar to those Cavs team, or it was like it was just like those Cavs, like the LeBron Cavs team. No, no. Let Let's even go to teams that even won the championship. Hakeem Olajuwon in 1994 went against the New York Knicks, right? He averaged 26 points, nine rebounds. His second leading scorer was Vernon Maxwell, who averaged 13 points, shot 36% from the field. Was Vernon Maxwell a better player than Andrew Wiggins? No. What? Let's even go to 2003. Tim Duncan and the San Antonio Spurs. His second best player. His no, 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 take it back. His second leading scorer was Tony Parker, who was in his second year, and he averaged 14 points shooting 38% from the field. What are we talking about here? Talk about, it, it was, it's, oh my God, look at this Warriors supporting cast. It's like Steph Curry ain't got no help. I, I just don't understand why are we even putting this narrative about how Steph Curry has no help? Like, Thank are we serious? You. It's ridiculous. What? Why are we, like, what? I can't believe this nonsense. Now, if there's anybody who is carrying, damn sure carrying Draymond Green, that's the only player he's carrying. But Wiggins? Wiggins was probably their most important player in game four, if you ask. Like 17 and 16 in game four? Stop it. 
I, I can't believe that we are we are comparing the supporting cast that Curry has to the Bronze Cavaliers when he was in Cleveland. Stop it. Just ridiculous. Like when I just saw that, I'm like, are y'all serious? Like people like to create these unnecessary stupid narratives. This is a stupid narrative. It's incredibly disrespectful to the rest of the Warriors team because the rest of the Warriors team has worked their butts off just as good as Steph to get to this point. And just because Steph had to score 43 points or is averaging 34 points a game does not mean that he is carrying the Warriors. Like, are you serious? Come on now. Like, when you look at the Cavs teams, Obviously, in 2007, he had to carry that team. Obviously, that year when you had Timothy Mozgov and you didn't have um, Kyrie Irving, yeah, you had to carry hurt. that team. And even when he had Kyrie Irving, guess who was the highlight? LeBron James and Kyrie Irving. I mean, Thank we you. remember the game five where literally for two straight minutes, you just see LeBron and Kyrie making shots. Yes. You don't see nobody else. Not yeah. Richard Jefferson, yeah. not Kevin Love, not Eli Shumpert. Not J.R. Smith. Yep. It was LeBron James and Kyrie. Maybe Kevin Love. So if anybody's doing the carrying, yes, LeBron's doing the carrying, but we already know that. Why are we even bringing LeBron into this conversation once again? I don't know why. I mean, let me just say this, though, because we haven't really talked about it. Shout out to him being the billionaire. Shout out to oh, him yeah, being yeah, the yeah, billionaire. Definitely. Him, Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods are the only athletes to be billionaires. Shout out to that man. Because he has worked hard to get to that point, and we love and respect that. But if it's not that or anything related to the Lakers, you know what I'm saying? We don't want to keep hearing about LeBron. Come on, y'all. Stop it. Steph is not carrying this Warriors team. He's not. And thank you for bringing up Andrew Wiggins. Just because Andrew Wiggins isn't scoring 20 points, or Klay Thompson didn't even score 20 points. Andrew Wiggins made an impact defensively. Kevin Moody made an impact defensively. Like I said, when Poole and Clay was hitting their shots, Steph helped them. That's how great Steph is. Even if he scored 43 points, he never took away anything from his team. And we should give more credit to that. And that should be a storyline than trying to compare if he has quote-unquote help. Like, come on, y'all. Just incredibly disrespectful. Yeah. Listen, it is clearly disrespectful. I just... You know, the thing about Steph Curry is that he's a strange person to talk about because people people speak too low about Curry, but people speak too high about Curry. Like I'm I'm really, like I feel like people are prematurely given this this notion that Steph Curry like I I remember in 2016 when he won MVP and the Warriors they won 73 games. There are people who were asking like people like you know like people outside of media they were saying well, where will you put Steph Curry right now all time? Well, you got to put Steph Curry in the top 10. I'm like, how? <laughs> he ain't done anything. He won one championship and two MVPs. Like, how you going to put this? How you going to put him in the top 10? Like, what are you talking about? I, there, and I think that the way how things have been for the Warriors right now, and the fact that this could be the shot, this could be his chance to show that, that the Warriors can win a championship without Kevin Durant again. They can show that once again, like, this wasn't a flu. Like Steph Curry can be that guy. He can lead a team to a championship. For some reason, they want to put Steph Curry in the same sentence with Jordan, LeBron, Duncan, Magic, Kareem so badly. You know what I'm saying? Like there are people who are saying he's already top 15. Well, I'm not ready to put that right there. I'm not ready to go that far. But I just think that with Steph Curry, 
Like it's just, it, I just think that because he can shoot the three ball, because he can, he's the greatest shooter ever. And the fact that, listen, he's won three championships and he is one of, if not the face of the league. We want to put this out there that Steph Curry is carrying this Warriors team like LeBron James did when he was with the Cavaliers or even with the Miami Heat or the Lakers right now. Like, stop the nonsense here. Like, no, like, stop it. Steph Curry is an all-time great, top 25 all-time. That's all we got to say. I just think that, you know what, people are so quick to compare him to LeBron James that, bro, they're both great players. Let Steph be Steph. I want people to stop that, please, for the love of God, because especially if we're trying to move on with this new era of the NBA, you cannot compare Steph to LeBron. LeBron is on a whole different stratosphere as Steph Curry. Remember, Jabari, I said Steph is a generational talent. That's the one thing that they both have in common is that they're both generational talents where it's clear where they made that mark. We know when LeBron James made that mark, and we know when Steph Curry made that mark. We can both put them in the same category as opposed to that. Same thing as Michael Jordan being a generational talent. Mm-hmm. But when you start trying to compare him, of, oh, he had to carry this team. And sometimes ask these people who make all this money watching the games every day. Do y'all know what y'all watching? Like, you know, you don't really know what y'all watching to make that kind of statement. You know, speaking of Karen, think about this. So when they went against the Nuggets in the first round, Remember when Curry was coming off the bench? How and much Jordan Poole was scoring? Yeah, right. How much carrying did Curry have to do in the first round against the Nuggets? Right. I, I, I don't. I don't recall him carrying because, like I say, he was coming off the bench. They were toying with the Nuggets. Come on now. How much carrying did Curry have to do against the Grizzlies in the second round? How much carrying did Curry have to do? in the conference finals. You could say that he was leading them to the NBA finals, that he was leading them, you know, to where they're at right now. But as far as carrying, carrying, that's just, no, just, just stop it. I, I can't believe that. Like, bro, it, that that's why it's so weird to talk about Steph Curry and his greatness because everybody want to be so high or low about Curry. And it's like, bro, like, keep it balanced with him. He's an all-time great. Leave it that way. Like, my goodness. All right, so let's talk about Jason Tatum. So despite Jason Tatum, who's averaging 22.7 rebounds, seven assists, and they made finals, which if you look at that stat line, that's actually pretty good. This man is shooting 34% from the field, 45% from the three-point line, 27% inside the arc. And that's what is alarming right here. The fact that he's shooting 34% from the field, you're like, uh, if it's not a free ball, then, ooh, he's not really shooting the ball great. And there are times that Jason Tatum in the NBA Finals, he's looked lost. You know, rather he's turned the ball over or he's always trying to hunt for fouls. Like even, you know, Emmanuel Doka, he even said that, you know, there's times that he has hunted for fouls instead of, you know, finishing at the basket. I think that when I look at Jason Tatum, and this is the best of three, like the series is tied 2-2, and we'll, we'll see what happens in game five and game six. But I look at Jason Tatum and, you know, he's been spectacular in the playoffs. You know, in the first round, he averaged 29 points, shooting 45% from the field. In the second round, he was averaging 27 points, 42% from the field. In the conference finals, he was averaging 25 points, 46% from the field. When you look at him right now, he hasn't been great, but you can say he has been all right or okay or good. Jason Tatum 
has not have a 30-point game yet in the NBA Finals. Is it alarming? Not necessarily because they're tied 2-2. So it's not like, you know, like they're, in, like they're in trouble. But I think that for them to win the championship, for the Boston Celtics to win the championship, Jason Tatum has to have at least one or two of those games where you could say he's having that 30-point-plus game because they need him to ball out. They need him to go off. And I'm not saying that he needs to be ball dominant, that he needs to play ISO all the time. What he needs to do is have that one game like he did win in the first round. He dropped 39 points against the Brooklyn Nets in game three. He dropped 46 points in Milwaukee game six in in the second round. He dropped 31 points game four against the Miami Heat. What he needs to do is have that, that blueprint, that that where he's leaving his mark and say, I got a 30 plus point game in the NBA finals. Cause that's what he needs to do. If they want to win the NBA finals. Absolutely. And for Jason, this is his time. This is his moment. Just like we saw Steph have that moment at that do or die moment. He took and seized the opportunity. And you see the warriors now are having the keys in the driver's seat to really take this thing home. Jason needs to understand that and coming into game five and the rest of the series, he has to ball out. He has to. And that's the thing for Jason. He has to understand that you need to show up at a really, really high level for your team because it's crunch time now. I mean, we can defensively say that when the Warriors won game four, the way that Steph performed, that was the turning point in this series. And we're going to see what's going to keep happening. And for Jason Tatum, he hasn't really shown that moment yet. He needs to have that moment. And I'll tell you straight right now, I think the best player in this series for Boston is um, Jalen Brown. Yeah, Jalen mm-hmm. Brown, you can just feel it. You can feel the energy when he drives to the basket. You can feel the energy whether he's going at it with Draymond Green or another player defensively or some sort. Yeah, but Draymond you can Green. feel his impact and you can feel his aggression, his attack. With Jason, I don't know if we can see that. And I noticed in game four that, and I'm glad that Ime Udoka is talking about how he's not really attacking the basket. I think Jason Taylor is not having a lot of confidence. And I need him to have more confidence because when you look at the shots that he made, his shots, he, he shot with confidence. Like that first three for Boston, when he was attacking the basket, especially in the second half, Giving it his all, you could tell he had that confidence. Yeah, and then when he didn't have the confidence, and probably for the most part of why he hasn't been shooting so well, you know what I'm saying, in this finals, has something to do with his confidence. He needs to up it more because he needs to show up. He needs to have that dog game. And what perfect way to have that dog game when you're going back to the Bay? That's yeah. when he needs to have it. Jason Absolutely. Tatum needs to come up in the Chase Center saying, all right, Steph, Clay, Draymond, all y'all. All right, I see, you know, especially you, Steph, what you tried to do against us. That's cool and all, you know. You know, we're going to let that slide, but it's go time now. You know what I'm saying? I'm at your house. All right, then it's go time now. That's what Jason needs to have, that mentality. And that's the thing. It's not alarming that he doesn't have 30 points because it doesn't mean that he has to be off the wall or balls off the wall in the series because the series, like I still believe it to be, it's going to be very – tick for tack, very even. But if Boston, especially JT, want to turn the envelope and really turn that page, he needs to show up in a very great way. I'm hoping he can, because if he doesn't, I think that's really going to hurt Boston, because Boston is good. 
Jalen Brown, he's been able to pick up the slack a lot of times and to show that he's ready. We don't really question Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown, he's averaging 24 points, shooting 40% from three and 40% from the field. He is doing very well against the Warriors. Jason Tatum, he needs to clean it up a little bit. So as long as he comes into that mentality, especially in the Bay of like, I'm going to attack you and destroy you at your house by myself, then I think he'll be fine. And I think Boston will be right where they need to be to close the series out. Yeah, um, like I said, Jalen Brown, I mean, look, a lot of people want to talk about who's the best player in Boston between Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Let, let, let's just stop comparing. Let's just stop with the BS right here, trying to compare between these two guys. Listen, let them be grateful who they are. If you look at in the playoffs, Jason Tatum has been the better player. But in the NBA Finals, Jalen Brown has been slightly better than Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum right now, like I said, we already talked about his numbers. For Jalen Brown, let's talk about him. He's averaging 22 points seven rebounds and 44% from the field. Marcus Smart, you know, he's giving you 15 points, four assists, four rebounds, and he's also shooting 44% from the field. Al Horford, not bad. He's actually playing very, very well, shooting uh, like about over 50% from the field. Um, you have Derek White, who, who is averaging 14 points, although he can shoot the ball a little bit better. He is giving you 14 points. With Jason Tatum, you need to have that great game. Like we, like, we look at Steph Curry. Steph Curry is easily the best player on the floor. What Tatum needs to do is have one of those games saying, I'm the best player on the floor. And he has the scoring ability. He's a great offensive player. So now he has to show that. If Jason Tatum can stop going to the basket and always hunting for fouls or always complain about calls, like there are times when he's going to the basket where I remember one time he got the rebound and he scores. And obviously one of the players is touching him. Like you can clearly tell he's getting contact and he's looking at the referees like, yo, call the foul. Because he's always thinking that there needs to be a foul call every single time. Like, which listen, are there times that Jason Taylor was getting fouled when he goes to the basket? Absolutely. There are times that he's getting fouled. But that doesn't mean that you need to complain or not get back on defense when you miss a shot. You need to still be aggressive and do what you got to do. That's what Tatum needs to do. I remember one time back in the Olympics last year, um, there was a time in the exhibition game when there was a report that, you know, Team USA players – were, were looking at the referees. They were staring at them. Why are you not giving me calls when I'm getting, I'm, I'm, I'm getting contact? I'm getting hit every single time I'm going to the basket. And so basically it was kind of like the Team USA players were basically complaining about calls. And it was like, bro, this isn't the NBA rules. Like, this is the Olympics here. Like, bro, you got to understand, this isn't NBA rules. This is the Olympic rules. You got you gotta to adapt. And that's what Jason Tim has to do. Once you clearly see... This is how the referees are officiating this game. You have to adapt. That's what Tatum has to do. And do I believe that he would have one or two of those games? Yes, I do. Because I'm still confident that Boston can still get the job done. Beforehand, I said Boston was going to, you know, win it in six. And I'm still sticking by that. And Jason Tatum got to do what he has to do. So I'm looking forward to see what does happen in the best of three. Moving on to our next topic. So, L'Oreal, you uh, sent out an article that came from Bleacher Report, and you were, and one of those articles was about ranking the NBA's best trade assets this offseason. So, I'm going to give you the floor, and you can, you know, start off this topic right here. Thank you, Jabari. So, a couple of days ago, Bleacher Report, they released a very interesting article. And when I read more from it, I thought that this would be a very interesting topic and something that we never really talked about on this show. But I think will bring 
some good, you know, hopefully publicity or something to talk about because it is related to what's going to happen, obviously, after the finals, which is the offseason and free agency. So this article ranked the top 10 biggest NBA trade assets. So we're talking when we're talking about trade assets, we're talking about players, but specifically players who are going to be for a lot of these teams when they make these trade packages, um, basically centerpieces for the team. So, for example, Luka Doncic or John Morant, they can't be considered trade assets, well, because they're superstars, number one. And then number two, they already have very lucrative contracts. So they can't really be considered trade assets because there's no way that the player can try to acquire them or anything of that nature. But when you read through this article, there was a very good pattern. And a lot of these patterns were draft picks. There were a couple draft picks. Um, there was the Portland Trailblazers, and I believe the Sacramento Kings draft picks that was ranked on this list. And most of these guys are particularly young guys. So young guys who have been playing for about two, three, four, really no more than five years. So this is the top 10 list for the best NBA trade assets, starting from 10 to 1. Number 10 is Tyler Hero from the Miami Heat. Number 9, Bones Highland from the Denver Nuggets. Number 8, Patrick Williams from the Chicago Bulls. Number seven, John Collins from the Atlanta Hawks. Number six, the number seven pick, which belongs to the Portland Trailblazers. Number five, the number fourth pick, which belongs to the Sacramento Kings. Number four, Desmond Bain from the Memphis Grizzlies. Number three, Jonathan Kaminga from the Golden State Warriors. Number two, OG Anobi from the Toronto Raptors. And number one, Tyrese Maxey from the Philadelphia 76ers. And as we know, Maxey, he is about to head into his third season now with the 76ers, and he's 21 years old, and it's obviously a very big value, a very big part of this 76ers team, especially what we saw from the playoffs. So Jabari, I'm just curious to know, what do you think about Maxi being number one as the most important trade asset, as well as everyone else that I listed on the list? For him to be number one, it is very, in, it's very, it's very, it's very, very, very intriguing, I should say. You know, I know I've been saying very a lot. This guy, Tyreek Maxi, I mean, when you look at him, I mean, the guy can score, he can pass, he can attack the basket, he can defend. For him to be the to be ranked number one, you're basically saying that he could be a franchise player. Am I ready to say he could be a franchise player? I don't know yet. I, I do believe that what he's what he's doing in Philadelphia is good. I, it just it does really show that he could be a starter. Um, I'm not mad at that number one list. Like you know, I, I, well, say that today. Today, I'm not mad that he is ranked number one. But I would say there's a person who is number two and number three, and that's OG Aganobi and Jonathan Kaminga. Now, correct me, correct me if I'm wrong. Jonathan Kaminga is like 19, 20 years old, and he's barely played. Like, he's barely played in the NBA Finals. Like, he's barely playing the playoffs, but he's barely playing in the NBA Finals. Jonathan Kaminga has so much potential. I've heard a lot about him. They, they believe, like, the Warriors believe that he can be, like, top 25, potentially. Like, one day he could be a top 25 player. Um, I think that for him, like, He's a great trade asset, if you ask me. OG are going to know be, you know, the thing about him is that when I look at this guy, what I see in him is what I thought he was going to be like, you know, Scotty Barnes. Like, Scotty Barnes has been more impressive than OG are going to know be. And this is, you know, Scotty Barnes' first year. Yes. Like, it's, like, this is his rookie year. And when I look at OG, I just feel like that there's a limit when it comes to him. Like, he's a, he's a great two-way player. Well, I, just, I take that back. He's a good two-way player. He can give you about 15, 16, 17 points. But I don't look at OG and say, man, this guy can give me 25 points. He could be your best player on the team, on a championship team, and take us to the promised land. I don't look at that. I look at him as an asset. Like, you know who OG Agunomi reminds me of? 
Sean Marion. Sean Marion, he was a guy. <laughs> like, think about this. Sean Marion, he was never, he could never be the best player. He can be your number two. Maybe he, he, he can even be your number three. He could be your number three guy. He can give you about 15, 18 plus points. He could defend. He could do other things on the floor, but he can't be a number one guy. And that's who OG is. Like OG is just like, I understand that his, his trade value is high. His asset is high, but I just look at him and be like, you know what? I'm cool with him being top three, but I'm intrigued to see where he's positioned. If he, let's say he gets traded, where is he going to go? I'm, I'm intrigued to see where would he be positioned where he would be, you know, a great addition for a team that's trying to win the title. Yes, definitely. Um, seeing OG in number two, I was a bit surprised and, the reason why they put him in number two is because when you see him, he's about 24, 25. He got about three years, which is over 25 plus million dollars on his deal. I think it's really more so of his deal, more so than him as a player, because when you look at that deal, consider his age, you can go for it and you can shop with it. So when you think about a lot of these teams like the 76ers, the Lakers or teams like that, where they're looking to shop that kind of way. They're looking at that contract, and that's a doable contract. So for a guy like OG who can score in the fin, I, I'm not surprised at him being number two. I just don't think he should be number two. Uh, Maxi, I'm totally okay with him being number one. I mean, when you think about his playoff numbers jumping from six points to almost 20, I mean, we could arguably say that Maxi was just as valuable, if not more valuable, than the James Harden during that time and Joel Embiid, who was the number one guy, but was constantly hurt, especially with that thumb injury. So Maxi, I like him. He can score. He can defend. I think he has that potential to be a star. And I think for a lot of guys, they want to put him in that package because they want a, a nice young guy who's ready right away, defensively and offensively, to mesh with a lot of other young guys. And one thing that I was surprised about in this list was Tyler Hero being number 10. I honestly thought that he should be ranked a lot higher because when you think about this season, he actually put himself in a position to be a trade asset. I mean, not only did he win the sixth man of the year, but his numbers had increased. And I think that we see Tyler Hero become more different as a player. Before, we just known him as a guy who was a really incredible shooter. But now we're seeing that he can actually defend. He can facilitate. He knows how to score in a multitude of different ways, which I think will be very helpful in the Miami Heat in the long run. But obviously, if I were a team and I was looking at a trade package and Tyler Hero was on that trade package, I wouldn't look away at it. I think this is a guy who can give you points. I think that especially if you're looking for, you know, to upgrade your bench, he will be perfect because, I mean, he could be your great six man and he could definitely be a guy who can give you production off the bench. So for him to be a number 10, I was definitely surprised. I think he should have been a little bit higher. But other than that, this list was very interesting, especially when you see those two picks, because for the Trailblazers and the Kings, they're looking for more players. So when you think that draft picks can be trade assets, it actually makes sense because, like I said, just when you look at young players as having value, a lot of these draft picks have a lot of value for a lot of these teams who are looking to build up their teams just, you know, as, as great as they can. Yeah, um, I think Tyler Harris should have been, you know, been higher up. I think number 10, you know, I, I guess that, you know, what they saw in the playoffs this year, they probably were a little bit disappointed because he had a great regular season. Yeah, I mean, he was great. I mean, he had 20, he averaged 20, 20 points. Yeah, right. 20 points. I mean, although he 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 shot like what 42, 43% from the field, he averaged 20 points coming off the bench. And then I think that because he averaged what 12, 13 points 
in the playoffs, I think they were a little disappointed. And, and the reason why he is ranked number 10, but yeah, but when you talk about the Kings and the Trailblazers, they, they need some more than players. They need this too. <laughs> they need a miracle. If you want to ask me, especially, especially for the Kings, how the last time they've been to the playoffs since what, since 2006, Ooh. I was, well, I was 12, 13 years old when, when they were in the playoffs. Yeah. So. Yeah, I was in middle school. I was like six, seven. <laughs> About 16 years uh, ago. Yep, yeah. That's interesting. Right. Wow. Okay. All right. Okay. That's cool. <laughs> but this is an interesting uh, article right here. I, I def- definitely like the fact that you brought this up. This is very intriguing. All right, everybody. So here you go right here. This is my Jabari Anderson's Major League Baseball review of the month of June. We're going to get this started. You know, we're going to make this short, sweet, and quick because I know that, you know, we want we want to still talk about the NBA Finals and other sports topics around here. But let's go ahead and get to the baseball quick. So let's start with the American League. Now, for the AL East Division, the New York Yankees are in first place. They are 44 and 16. I think it's safe to say that they are the most surprising team in Major League Baseball. It's not that we didn't think they were going to be good because they, they should be good. But it's just that they're in first place and they're like, you know, they're dominating in baseball right now. I mean, this is the Yankees that we kind of expect them to be like a few years ago. And the fact that they're still in first place, it is spectacular. They have the best record in Major League Baseball right now. So shout out to them. They are in first place and leading, uh, well, I should say, led by Aaron Judge, who is showing why he is a max guy. He is a max player and he's going he's gonna to try to get that money, you know what I'm saying? Because he is playing. He is playing good baseball right now. He listen. He's trying to get that max deal. That you know, he's trying to get that max deal no matter what happens after this season. And you know, I, I bet the Yankees are thinking he's worth every penny as of right now. In the American League Central Division, you have the Minnesota Twins who are in first place. They are 35 and 27. In the American League West Division, in first place, you have the Houston Astros. They are 37 and 23. Listen, they're the Houston Astros. Listen, they've been the American League champion since what? Last year and the last three three out of four years or something like that. Listen, this is the Astros talking about here. And even though Carlos Correa is not with this team anymore, the Astros are still the team to beat in the American League if you want to get to the World Series. So best believe that. In the American League wildcard, you have the Toronto Blue Jays, Tampa Bay Rays, and the Boston Red Sox. And this is interesting. The Boston Red Sox were struggling in the beginning of the season. Now they're playing above 500 baseball right now. I mean, right now you never know. They could be getting further. You never know. Maybe they can catch up to those New York Yankees. I mean, I don't know. I mean, the New York York Yankees are like right here, and they have a wide gap in second place in the the, the American League East Division. But we will see what happens because that American League East Division is pretty tough. Now, National League. For the National League East Division, in first place you have the New York Mets. They are 40 and 22 for the National League Central Division. The St. Louis Cardinals are in first place and they are 34 and 27. Now, for the National League West Division, what's the prize? It's the Los Angeles Dodgers. They are clearly, look, we all knew that they were the team to beat in the West Division. We knew that the Giants, the Padres, and the Arizona Diamondbacks or the Colorado Rockies, even though those two teams are not really relevant. We knew that if you're going to win that that West Division, you have to go to the Dodgers. And right now, they are 37-23. and And it's still not a guarantee that they're going to win the division. They still are half game up by the San Diego Padres. So you never know. Never know. There might be some switching going on, and it is the month of June. In the, in the National League wild card, you have the San Diego Padres, San Francisco Giants, and the Atlanta Braves, which, by the way, the Atlanta Braves are on a 10-game winning streak. They were struggling in the beginning. 
now you see that they're rolling. And also, you know, like I said, my man Ronald Acuna Jr. is back and he is balling, baby. I mean, listen, they look around and say, Freddie Freeman who? It don't matter because we still going to ball out no matter what. We got a segment right here. And it's called, Who Got Fired? <laughs> so here we go. So for the Philadelphia Phillies, Joe Giraggi, who was the manager manager of that team, he got fired. And why? Because this team was 22 and 29. For the Phillies, if you would have thought that, listen, even if you didn't think they were going to win the, win the division, you would have thought for one second that maybe they can be in playoff contentions. With Joe Giraggi as the manager, they were 22 and 29. Since his firing in last week or two weeks ago, they have won eight out of the last nine games. So that's eight and one without him. So they're apparently doing something right. They're 30 and 30. And we will see if they can go to the playoffs without Joe Giraggi. So, listen, it's okay. Listen, Joe Giraggi, he's a championship manager. You had to go since nothing was going right. Now for another manager who got fired last week in the month of June, Joe Maddon from the Los Angeles Angels. Now... This is kind of surprising right here because the last month they were in first place in the American League West Division. And with Joe Maddon, they were on a 12-game losing streak. They it was it wasn't looking good. And then they finished up before winning the game last weekend. They were on a 14 losing streak. Joe Maddon got fired. Now, this is actually interesting because Joe Maddon, Maddon is a championship manager. And they just say, you know what? We've been losing 12 straight games. You're fired. It didn't matter because they still lost the next two games anyway. And since his firing, the Angels has been two and four. Right now, they are in second or in third place in the American League West Division. Um, it's not looking good so far. They have been clearly, as of right now, the most disappointing team in Major League Baseball. And if the Angels cannot get their act together, they might be in the same situation as they were the last, what, nine years ago no playoff contention no playoffs so oh boy i mean let me just say this right now it's not fun being in a 14 game losing streak let me just say that right now so when you're when you when you have lost 14 straight times it is bad and when you got two mvps with Shohei otani and mike trout although mike trout he's been out right now because due to injury but he was struggling in this losing streak it's still not looking good and also keep your eyes out on the chicago white Sox because right now the White Sox are not looking good. They're 27 and 31. And you know who also could be fired? Tony LaRussa. And this guy has, has been with the team since what well, since last season. So I can see a situation that he could be fired this week. And you never know. They they are four and six in the last 10 games. Um, this is hot alert. Who's on the hot seat as a manager? Because anyone could get fired at this moment. If a, Listen, if you're a championship manager that could get fired at any moment, then that means that nobody who's a manager for a baseball team is safe. So you never know. And, and if Tony La Russa gets fired, Lord have mercy. It's going to be some problems because you know, I just don't know. But you know what? It is what it is. It's been, there have been some good, bad, and ugly times for Major League Baseball this season, but you're going you're gonna to know more. And that was it for yours truly, Jabari Anderson's Major League Baseball review of the month of March. Moving on from baseball, let's go ahead and talk about the NFL real quick. Now, there's been a lot of, maybe a few football news, but I heard that, uh, did you hear that, that Tyree Kill was talking about that Tua had the strongest arm that he has ever seen? I mean, I'm 
I mean, I guess Patrick Mahomes didn't have that type of arm, I guess. I mean, I don't know what the hell he was talking <laughs> I guess about. not. Yeah, I don't know what he's talking about. But, you know, but this is not it. But we're not talking about Tyreek Hero Tua right here. I want to go back to Deshaun Watson. And here's the reason why. You know, listen, we talked about last week about that New York Times report where he met 66 women in a 17-month period. Now, I got to go back to this trade that the Texans and the Browns did. The Houston Texans traded away. Deshaun Watson and six round draft pick, right? They, they, they gave him to the, to the Cleveland Browns and guess what the Cleveland Browns gave up to get Deshaun Watson and that six round draft pick three first round draft picks, one third round draft pick and two fourth round draft picks. Now, I don't know what the NFL is going to do about this because we don't listen. We don't know if he's innocent or guilty. I just, I'm just curious about all these draft picks that the Browns gave up. Just to get Deshaun Watson, knowing the fact that he's being accused of sexual assault or sexual misconduct, all these lawsuits that's going on, well, all these civil lawsuits that's going on, it's very spicy, very intriguing to see what's going on. Now, I don't know what the NFL is going to do, so I'm going to give you a two-part question. What should the NFL do with Deshaun Watson? Because he's making, listen, he signed a five-year, $230 million deal. He's getting guaranteed money. What should the NFL do with Deshaun Watson? And since Baker Mayfield is on, is still with the Browns, he's on the last year of his deal. Should Baker Mayfield play for the Browns next season? I think the NFL they definitely need to look more into the situation, and I think that giving when we get more information, hopefully they'll look at that New York Times report that is very thorough and accurate and is very detailed. I think they should. Um, I think they should suspend Watson. Now, how long? Um, he'll probably get a year. I mean, let's be real. He's not going to be banned from the NFL, nor is he going to get anything more than a year. Deshaun Watson is most likely going to get a year suspension. And then obviously within that year suspension, they'll probably do even more, you know, evidence and working on the case. He probably could be able to play the following season. So I think that they should suspend Watson if they look more into this investigation and they find the details that would deem him to be suspendable because like I said even though I personally say that I'm not going to watch this man play because how I feel uncomfortable knowing that I read that report we all know what the NFL is thinking so once they do more investigation we'll see how that plays and I feel like if they do feel like they want to suspend him it'll just be for a year now for Baker Mayfield I think that he should play for the Cleveland Browns um you only got one more year left on your deal and the thing is is that it's not like if he were to come back especially knowing that Deshaun Watson is going to be out for at least a year or two. I don't think Cleveland's going to be like, oh, we're going to play with you or we're going to toy with you this season. I don't think it's anything like that. I think that if Baker Mayfield were to be able to come back to this team, which I think he will if Deshaun Watson gets suspended, everything will be back to normal. Like the entire system will still be ran by a quarterback. So the system will still be ran by Baker Mayfield. They'll still running. They'll still run the running game. I don't think there'll be any difference if he were to play, you know, in this sudden moment as opposed to if Deshaun Watson never went to the Cleveland Browns anyway. And he doesn't really have a choice as to try and go to another team. I think if Seattle wanted him, they could have looked into him. I think that if the Giants or the Panthers or any of these teams wanted to look into Baker Mayfield, they would have did that. But clearly they made the decisions on keeping um, Sam Darnold for the Panthers part or, you know, keeping Drew Locke um, for the Seattle Seahawks part. And it just doesn't make sense to all of a sudden try to come up with a trade. I think that Cleveland, 
They knew that the situation would happen. So they gave him that four or five contract for Watson. And if he are to be suspended for at least a season, I think Baker Mayfield, if anything, should just play that last contract out. Then once he played that last year's contract out, then he can, you know, be free to go wherever he wants to go. Let's just say that, you know what, that he turns out to be guilty, right? Let's just say that you found out in one of those 24 lawsuits, civil lawsuits, as I was going to say, because they're not criminal, civil lawsuits. If it turns out to be that in one of those cases where he turns out to be guilty, they need to suspend him. And how, how many years? I don't know. And to me, I think he should be suspended for more than one year. But let's say that they do suspend him for one year, right? That you suspend him in his first year, no matter what happens, he's going to get that guaranteed money. They, the, the Browns are not going to avoid his deal. They're not going to avoid his contract. So whatever happens, he's going to get his money no matter what. Now, for Baker Mayfield, this is a great opportunity for him because with Deshaun Watson out for at least a season, you could he could be put in a situation where he could be with a new set of, of wide receivers, a great defense. This is an opportunity for him to say, you know what? This is my last year, but I'm going to ball out and I'm going to take this team to the playoffs. Because last year it was disappointing, even though you know we heard that he was hurt here and there. They did not make it to the playoffs. And Baker Mayfield can do what he has to do with a new set of guys with a, a great defense led by Miles Garrett. And if he takes his team to the playoffs, teams will now look at him and say, like, a guy who I could say could be my franchise quarterback. Baker Mayfield may not be a superstar. He may be not be a top five or top 10 quarterback. But at least you could say he could be top 20. He could be average, above average, at least. So if Baker Mayfield can ball out this season, this upcoming season, I think this could be great for Baker Mayfield. And Absolutely. let's also let's also be very clear right now. Let's 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 just think about this. Let's think about this. What is the expectation for Baker Mayfield? Just get to the playoffs. Just at least get to the playoffs. A lot of people are already doubting him saying like he's not that guy. So if he if he can do what he did 2 years ago where he got the team to the playoffs and he wins a playoff game, then his stock goes high. Like if and, and when your stock is going high, then you're looking at the situation like, wow, like I got multiple teams looking at him. And let's just be honest right here. The reason why he hasn't been let go yet is because of Deshaun Watson He and his issues. If Deshaun Watson, listen, if all those lawsuits was clear, Baker Mayfield would have been gone. Like they would have let him yeah. go right away. He may have been traded. He probably would have been away by now. But as of right now, he's with the team. And as long as Baker Mayfield is with this team, and Deshaun Watson is probably suspended for next season, Baker Mayfield needs to show the world, needs to show these haters, show everybody that he can still play and say, I can be that quarterback that can lead a team to the playoffs. So, L'Oreal, we got about a few hours until game five of the NBA Finals start. And, um, you know, we, we're on our last topic anyway. And I just want to bring this up because, you know, I want to stick with the NBA Finals. So before the Finals began, we made our predictions and you had the Celtics in seven and I had the Celtics in six. Do you still feel that confident that it's still going to be the Celtics in seven? Absolutely. I think Boston can still take control of the series. I'm expecting Jason Tatum to go big against the road in the Bay in this game five. And I think once the Boston win this game, then like I said, we'll see the back and forth and eventually Boston will close the deal in seven. You know, to me, I'm just going to be honest right now. I think that regardless of what happens in game five, Boston will win game six. So to me, it is a must win for the Warriors to win game five. If the Warriors don't win game five, the series is over. The, the, the Boston Celtics will win game six automatic, clearly. It, it, I don't care what the situation is. Yes, we have heard about, it, you know, about Boston after wins, they're six and eight. 
And that's been an issue because, you know, but in each series, in each playoff series, in this playoffs, they have at least won one back-to-back games. They, okay, so so let's, let's keep it real right here. They at least have one back-to-back game, so we can at least see that. But let's be very clear. The Boston Celtics are 7-0 following a loss. So, But like I said beforehand, regardless of who wins game five, the Celtics will win game six. So if the Warriors want to at least get to a game seven, they have to win game five. And, you know, we're going to see what happens. And the next time we come back, whew, we will see who will be the 2022 NBA champions. Yes, would it be sir. the Boston Celtics or the Golden State Warriors? And, boy, and, you know, we'll see what happens here because you already know who I'm rooting for, for sure. But, I listen, before this series began, I had Celtics in six. And um, I'm sticking by that. I'm still I'm sticking by that Celtics in six. All right, folks, that's it for the Bounce Podcast, episode 77. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Simplecast, iHeartRadio, Pandora, and on YouTube, folks. I want you to like, comment, subscribe, download us, folks. I want you to like this, share this to your family members, to your friends, your associates. You know the deal is, man. We are almost at the end of the NBA Finals, and we will see what happens because I believe if there is a game seven, it will be on Father's Day, June 19th. That's Sunday. Yes, yeah, it was interesting that it, on June 19th, it would be Juneteenth Day, which is a holiday and Father's Day. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. So we will see who will be the 2022 NBA champions. And also, just to be very clear, um, if you didn't know, Adam Silver, who is the NBA commissioner, he is um, he would not be at the game for game five of the NBA finals because he is in a health and safety protocol. So just to let you know, COVID is still real out here. So like, like I said, you know, mask up if you had to, social distance and stay away from COVID, people. Thank you for listening to the Bounce Podcast, episode 77. My name is Jabari Anderson with my co-host, L'Oreal. Peace! Peace.